This is the Tea Health Show with Dr. Mark and Chris Avon Smith, sponsored by the Tea Clinic, the Tea Health Show, the medical lifestyle show. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark, and this is the Tea Health Show, our usual um, anchor, Chris Avon Smith, is not with us in the studio. He's got a bit of a stomach bug. Chris, uh, just so that you know, it's not safe to put everything you pick up on the side of the road in your mouth, or should I say, every one. So today we are talking about the myths of menopause, and in studio with us is um, my colleague and dear friend, Sister Elise. Elise, good morning. How are you? Good morning. All good, thank you. Okay, so... The myth of menopause. Um, you know what we've been discussing testosterone so for such a long time, but you know one of the things that I think we we neglect is that fifty three percent of our population are female, and all all of them at some point in their lives will go through menopause. Now, menopause is such a a, a difficult time, but it's it's not something that is clearly defined as a time frame. Uh, we have perimenopause, we have menopause, and then postmenopause. So let's start there. What is the perimenopause? Perimenopause is usually the time before you are officially in the menopause phase. How do we define menopause? Is where you have physical symptoms, but also very clearly, if you haven't had a menstrual cycle in a period of 12 months. So it's very interesting how this definition has changed because um, it used to be if you did not have a, a menstruation for nine months consecutively, etc., etc. And now it's um, a much it's much clearer definition, and it's not a, um, a biochemical definition anymore. No, it is not, definitely. It is definitely linked to irregular uh, menstrual cycle and then no cycle in 12 months. And this is the one that that I found quite interesting. Um, if you are older than 45 and you haven't menstruated for a year, you are menopausal. Correct. Correct. So that's a that's a very interesting one. And the age actually that is defined in all the in all the theory is that you will be officially in menopause from the age of fifty to fifty nine and then you will go into your postmenopause phase. So postmenopausal women are sixty and over. Simpiwi, did you actually know that? No, I did not. Um, I did not know that at all. So that's quite interesting. For you it's still half your life more than more than your current life before you get to Postmenopause. I'd like to hope so. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Elise, um, there's so so many misconceptions and misunderstanding um, from both doctors um, as well as our listeners, females out there, about what the menopause actually is, and um, you know whether it's safe to 
to treat it or not. Uh, you have been involved in urogyne, and for you who don't know what that is, it's the urological part of gynecology and um, then also on, on the men's side with urology uh, for the past 40 years. Yes, so quite, a, quite a while. <laughs> and you know what? You are currently menopausal. Correct. Correct. So let's start there. You know, but when I was still doing obstetrics and gynecology and we going 20 years back, um, we were involved in a very, very big study. Um, uh, at that time, I think we called it the million study. And um, I think today it's called the Women's Health Initiative. Correct. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest studies that has ever been run um, and it's been continuously running for con- many, many years yeah, it now. It concluded actually in 2019. So the the timelines were set and 2019, um, the study was concluded, but we're still waiting for more results to be published out of that study. So I want us to go and um, look at... Some of the findings that came about and um, in the early 2000s, the study of postmenopausal women caused a lot of confusion, not only amongst women, especially the media and then doctors and new information about and listen carefully to this menopausal hormone therapy. Which is different to HRT or normal hormone replacement therapy, um, have looked at the benefits and the risk of treating the menopause, as we call it. So let's start with the first one. Okay. Menopause, and if I take menopause hormone therapy, MHT, I will gain weight. So what is the finding around that? Because I think a lot of women are scared that when I go on to hormone replacement therapy, I will, I will gain weight. And Peewee is nodding her head. Yes, <laughs> I think that's the biggest fear of anything, that you'd gain weight. Um, and that's the one thing a lot of women don't want, no matter how old you are. Yeah, we, we had a patient in our room, and Elise immediately starts smiling, <laughs> about a patient that refused treatment uh, because everything that she perceived doing Caused weight gain, which was completely untrue. Yeah. So, um, Elise, what is what what did that study so say? So, the study found that women on MHT, let me just say that again, menopausal hormonal therapy, didn't gain more weight than women that is not on any menopausal hormonal therapy. So, girls. So, ladies, <laughs> no longer girls, it's ladies. You can't blame your HRT. No, you can blame your age. You can blame your physical activity and social lifestyle type of things. Okay. What it did show is there's a weight or a fat redistribution, redistribution yeah. around the hips and the abdomen, etc. So, yes, it is still safe to use 
hormones to help you cope with your menopausal state. So it's very interesting, you know, what, uh, when we think of, of women that's going through menopause and postmenopausal, they change from an hourglass shape to a pear shape. Yes. Where the fat from the hips and the legs move up towards the abdomen. So it's the lower abdominal area and the hips that widen slightly. Um, and uh, it's because of age, weight, uh, diet, activity. Okay. So, and this is for me, let's move on to number but two. But you know what? It's also very attractive for men that women have bigger boobie, boob, booty. So that's. No, think of the Kardashians. Yeah. I don't understand that one. So and again, Simpy Wee is laughing. <laughs> Why, Sims? <laughs> no, I just find it interesting. Um, uh, because I'm the young one here. So I'm like <laughs> listening to here as I, I grow older, how my body is gonna, you know, transform. <laughs> and I think it's and, gonna be quite interesting. And be more attractive to. I, I like the sound of that. Yes, <laughs> you know what? It's very interesting. If we look at that, how the body shapes that's attractive to different cultures, mm-hmm. uh, differ vastly. Um, you know what? If, if my understanding is correct, and now help me, in African culture, a bigger bottom um, is more attractive than big boobs. Where in, in, uh, in a uh, Caucasian culture or in a, a European culture, it's the boobs. I would say that, um, but I'd also add that uh, a lady who's just fuller figured is kind of more attractive in Correct. the African community a bit more than in the Caucasian community. So it's also interesting to understand the different dynamics um, because I'm quite a full figured woman and I'm quite like, I'll describe myself as the pear shape. So hearing about menopause, I'm like, oh, child, I wonder how your body's going to change. <laughs> For me, it's, it's very interesting. When I go out and I see Black women, full-figured black women, rock an outfit that put a, a white woman in that, and you would go, "Oh my God, Walmart has escaped!" <laughs> um, and black women just pull it off. They can pull off short dresses with big legs, strong, full, um, and the only way that a white girl can wear that is if she looks like a stick. But it's about self-confidence and it's about acceptance by the community. Yeah, it's all perceptions, true. all about perceptions. Okay, so let's move on. Myth number two, and this is a biggie. Breast cancer is the most common death in postmenopausal women. And I think this is where we have to, to stop. Um, a lot of women think that taking hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy will cause breast cancer. Elise? Yeah, so um, I think what it is a real risk. We don't say it's not a real risk but there is um, 
different kinds of uh, cancer identified, etc., during this trial. The one is definitely, oh, not cancers, illnesses, let me say that. And and the statistics around this is very important for me. Um, Women thinks that they will die most likely from breast cancer rather than a heart attack or stroke when they are on hormonal replacement therapy. Cardiovascular disease is the biggest killer of women. Correct. So what the study found is that 12 in 100 women died from coronary heart disease. Listen carefully, 12 in 100. Yes. Heart attack, stroke, aneurysms. Correct. Nine of stroke, nine in a hundred, nine in a one hundred from stroke, and then only four in a hundred from breast cancer. So, um, the, the wonderful thing about education and the progression of medicine has been mammograms, educational programs, and Systems uh, where we teach women how to examine their breasts, and women are encouraged to do self breast examination, go for a mammogram because there's awareness. Breast cancer, it's a hideous disease and affects so many women. But very, very seldom did we talk about. Cardiovascular risk At least you and I were on real health Last season I think it was in the beginning of a year Where we Mentioned a frightening statistic One in Ten women Will die From a heart attack Did Sims Again big frown One in ten will listen to this One in ten women Will die from cardiovascular disease. Now, cardiovascular disease, as Elise mentioned, is strokes and heart attacks. So if we look at that, you know, it, it means that 11 women dies from cardiovascular um, heart attacks for every 100 women that die. That's a Postmenopausal. Very high. Very high. Oh. And we neglect cardiovascular um, problems. Um, the, the next myth is number four. Does menopausal hormone therapy tre- uh, increase the risk of heart attack? Um, the study found that um People or women on the on menopausal hormonal therapy did not increase the number of deaths from heart and blood vessel disease and heart attacks. Um, did not increase the number of cases of angina in healthy women or in women with pre-existing blood and heart vessel disease. So that is very important. But we know um, with replacement hormone replacement therapy that you can manage and reduce certain risk factors with the therapy that we do for our patients um, we lower cholesterol um, we replace testosterone estrogen etc 
on a very safe way through tests that we do and make sure that we get the maximum effect with a minimal dose of the treatments that we do with these patients. And that helps, that definitely, in my mind, decreases the risk of women developing those diseases. So I want to circle back to myth number three. And that is a quarter of women who take menopausal hormone therapy get breast cancer. So um, this is something I think that have you ever heard the statistics in Piwe? No, I have not. I'd be lying if I did. Okay. So in the early 2000s, you know what, when the million, when the first um, results from the million study or the Women's Health Initiative uh, were published, um, more than a million women was, has already been um, randomized onto the study. And that's a very, very big number. You know, at most studies are 100, 200, but a million is, is a very big number. And it's all over the world of all ethnicities, all ages. And what we found back then, and Cecilia is going to tell us what the new findings were, is that when it comes to specifically breast cancer, at that point in time, we thought, or the initial data pointed to the fact that there is an increased risk of developing breast cancer. But I have to, I have to just explain risk. All of us have a risk to develop cancer. It doesn't mean that we will. So the chance of you developing cancer um, was slightly higher. But, firstly, because women were aware that if they take hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone treatment, they have to be looking for possible cancers. So they did regular breast examinations and regular mammograms. And... What happened through that initiative is that they found the cancers more early. We know if we identify a cancer early in stage one or stage two, the treatment outcome and the prognosis is very good. Secondly, and this is a big word, the differentiation of the tumor was better. And uh, explaining that, it's... A cancer is a cell that starts replicating itself in an uncontrolled way. So we have different types of cells. The closer the cell is to its original form, the better it's differentiated. So we can actually say what type of cell it is. The worse the differentiation, it was just this blob of things and you don't know what it was or what its function is and it just kept replicating. So Something went haywire. Okay. And the better the differentiation, the better the outcome. 
We also found that in women who was on hormone replacement therapy, and remember I'm going back to, to early 2000s, the prognosis of treating the cancer was already better. Now, this is 20 years ago. And we've made such big strides in the treatment of breast cancer. So it would be very interesting, and Elise is going to share this with us, what the new data is suggesting. And listen carefully, it's suggesting. So the new data suggests that um, women that take is is taken MHT, a combined MHT, estrogen and progesterone, five years in a row did not in, uh, increase the breast cancer risk for women ages 50 to 59. So these are your menopausal women that has started taking MHT for consecutive five years, whether they have a uterus or not. Yes, but the treatment started within 10 years of the start of menopause. So for someone who starts menopause at 45, you know, they need to start taking hormone replacement within that first 10 years and then take it consecutively for five years. And there's no increase. Correct. In cancer. And then for the woman that takes estrogen-only MHD for a consecutive seven years, there was no increase in the risk of breast cancer in the age 50 to 59. Um, also started within 10 years of the start of menopause. After 13 years, there was still no increase of risk of breast cancer. But I think what we need to also talk about is what is the risk of breast cancer? How do we define the risk of breast cancer? And that is usually genetic. Mom had it. Um, Mom's sisters mom's had sisters it. had it. My or sister had it. My sister had it. That's where your increased risk is. We're not saying take MHD willy-nilly and you won't get breast cancer. We have to assess your risk before we go on to any MHD treatments. So, Sampibi, so as a layperson, I'm going to ask you this question because you, you're young. Um, a lot of our listeners are young. What are your thoughts? Have you ever thought about whether you would take hormone replacement therapy in what we call HRT? Because as you heard, HRT is something completely, uh, it, it's a broader field. It's not different. It's just a broader field. And we'll explain that just now. But would you have taken from the knowledge that you had? No. Uh, Why? Purely based on the fact that menopause for me is something that's still like... 40 so years ago, <laughs> in, in the future. In the future. <laughs> and I think also just um, seeing how older ladies in my life, they don't talk about it. So it's that thing of, oh, yeah, when you get to a certain age, your body's going to change. Um, you're going to experience a bit of this, a bit of that. They don't really disclose. And, and then it's kind of 
done. You you're done and dusted. And you're not allowed to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. You, you Hold on. I, I, I sorry. You know what? I have to ask this. As men, when we go through our midlife, you know what? We strip for secretary. We buy a Harley or a little flat car that we can't get in or out. Sorry, Elise. I've gone through my midlife crisis. <laughs> I now drive something that I can slide in and out of. So, um, and you know what? In both cultures. It's the same. European as well as African culture, you guys don't talk about menopause? No, no, not at all. Why? You just see your mother suffer and she is always cross at everybody and then suddenly she sweats and she hasn't done anything. It And you know you need to keep your distance. Don't go close to it. Oh, is that why my grandmother used to throw stuff at us? Yes. You know, from canned fruit bottles to vacuum cleaners. Oh, honey, yeah. that's just her being moody. <laughs> <laughs> she was a phenomenal old, old lady, and I miss her dearly. Okay, so, you know, but what you are basically and saying... And we usually thought maybe our fathers are neglecting our mothers. Oh. That was always there. So, thing. before we carry on, Elise, you you are in menopause. You're almost postmenopausal, according to the new um, age guidelines. Or, uh, but what are the symptoms of menopause? Because apparently, it's something that we don't speak about. Yes, we don't speak about it, and you, as a person. Don't think about it because you are busy with your career. There's nothing that can interrupt me now. I don't have time to be sick. I don't have time to look after myself. It's push, push, push. And usually it's a friend that's been through menopause that will tell you, listen, I do think you are menopausal um, and in a nice way. But what was the first thing that happened for me is excessive sweating. And I, and Is it was night sweats or sweats just suddenly I start sweating? Suddenly, suddenly. During the day, during winter, everything was just like everywhere, anytime I just started sweating. Then, um, the next thing is, um, night sweats. I picked up on night sweats and also I couldn't sleep at night. Um, I had interrupted, an interrupted sleep pattern and I am a person that needs my sleep. So then. No, we've noticed over the weekend. I wake. <laughs> you were away. Terrible. I wake up in the morning and then I'm moody because I, I thought it's because I didn't sleep well. But we all know that your hormone levels is at the lowest in the morning or the highest in the morning. Um, correct me there. At the lowest in the morning So that meant I wasn't moody because I didn't sleep well I didn't have more hormones to keep me going For the day So there's lots of different things And then my body changed as well um, Definitely my body changed And my, some physical things changed What physical things? What what were they? Yeah, so I had brittle nails suddenly um, My hair was limp I developed crow's feet and wrinkles and all of those different things my um, body changed my physical body changed in the sense that I could see the fat distribution was different um, tiredness I was anxious about everything 
which is totally against who I am. And um, yes, then I started my hormonal therapy, and that was a very quick fix. I could feel the difference within a week or two after I started replacing estrogen, which is important to know that I also had a hysterectomy, but um, kept my ovaries when I had the hysterectomy. So estrogen was good enough for me at that stage to help me through the, that worst period. What was bad for me is when I went to my normal GP and I asked him about these normal sweats and he prescribed a product, a tablet to lower my core temperature, which was crazy because how do you, it did not work. That didn't address the symptoms of menopause that I had. So it's that typical situation where even the GP doesn't want to deal with this whole thing that's happening with you. I have a question. I'd love to know from the time you started the night sweats um, to the time you went onto the hormones, how long was that period? Like how long can, or even that, the, the period of going through. The I think whole, it like, took symptoms. me about three, four months to, to realize, okay, listen, there is something wrong with you. It's so subtle. It's so, it creeps up, up on you. You don't know what's going on with you. It's what we find in the practice. Um, we are specialized uh, multidisciplinary practice. And what we find there is that we get women from the age of about 42, 43 coming in um, not feeling great. Um, one of the biggest complaints that they have is they have no energy. Yes. They're emotional. They have absolutely no libido or sex drive. Now, I will explain the difference between libido and sex drive just now. Um, they are forgetful. The memory is going. And um, they've been to GPs. They've been to specialists. Um, they had blood tests done. And... All yes, of that's also very important. It's normal. That's what I did, and it, it didn't show any. And this is the perimenopausal area. This is where, you know, it, uh, the ovaries are starting to become like a lazy dog. You know, it, it still barks, but only when it wants to. And, you know, all you want to do is just kick it. Um, and what happens there is that the estrogen that we are producing, and this is very interesting and women don't know this, actually come from testosterone. We only produce testosterone during ovulation. So if the testosterone levels start declining, our Estrogens, and Elise will tell us now that we, estrogen is a collective name for three different substances. Yeah, it's estriol, estradiol, and estrogen. Now, tell me, help me. So it's estradiol, <laughs> estrione, in. Oh my god. <laughs> 
Estradiol, estriol, estriol, yes, those three. So all three of them we need at different stages in different quantities, and that makes estrogen. So testosterone, which is the precursor of these, get converted to two different things. Um, DHT, which is usually what causes hair loss, uh, and mostly in men, and estrogen. Okay. So the decrease of testosterone has such a big impact on brain structure, brain function, and the um, the communication between individual brain cells, the nerves. It's very interesting that women who are premenopausal, so at the height of producing estrogen, has a far greater possibility of developing depression and anxiety than postmenopausal women, menopausal women or men. Oh, okay. So the effects of estrogen is so much more than just making us ovulate and giving us our period. It has a very, very important role to play in bone health and bone mineralization. It protects us from cardiovascular disease. Correct. Premenopausal, women have a 15% lower incidence of cardiovascular incidence than men and that changes when they become menopausal and that's when suddenly one in nine women get heart attacks or strokes um elise you were talking about your gp prescribed a a tablet a non-hormonal tablet to lower core temperature and this is one of the myths that um non-hormonal medications are as effective or even effective in treating menopausal um, as menopausal hormone therapy. So um, these are the things like um, Clomid. Yeah, and also um, uh, food, for instance. There's a myth out there. The yam. The yam. The And the soybean. And soy is actually read the findings on the study um, about um, non-medical ways, uh, I think it's myth number nine there, of treating menopause. Um, one of the biggest things that we have to stay away from is soy. And it's always been um, eat soy and soy-based products, um, the chickpeas, the yams, etc., etc., and it's actually not good for us. Also, it's not proven to be effective. Um, so let's go back to the use of non-hormonal therapies. They're not effective. There's no difference, 
and menopausal hormone therapy stays the best and safest way to treat the symptoms of menopause in a and controlled environment. In a controlled environment, that's yeah. very important. So um, the other myth that or something that I want to touch on a blood test is necessary to diagnose menopause. It comes back to where you asked me what was my symptoms when I started with my menopause or perimenopause phase. There was no blood test that could say okay your estrogen is too low your testosterone is too low etc etc. We are we are going back 40 years no sorry I'm just <laughs> joking I'm going to get a club now <laughs> so. not 40 <laughs> 12 <laughs> But the blood tests don't usually Because our um, hormonal cycle fluctuates so much It You need to catch it at the right time To make the diagnosis and of it's menopause It's very, very difficult Especially when you're not menstruating regularly anymore Or if you are on oral hormonal contraceptives um, Your menstruation um Disappears on things like the Mirena or on your long um, injectables like um, Norestorate and Depo-Provera. We take away your menstruation and then to try and determine whether you are m- menopausal or postmenopausal is a nightmare. Yes, and that's why menopause can only be di- diagnosed with symptoms. As well as if your um, menstruation is irregular or stopped, stopped, etc. So that is something very important. And people think that they they are going crazy because they've got all these symptoms. No, you're not. No, it's normal. It's normal. Come and get your diagnosis and get your treatment. It's it. I come back to this, and Simpiwi, this is something that. That you mentioned At least you confirmed it um, Women don't talk about menopause We don't talk about menopause enough um, It's been such A well known fact that m- Women will go through menopause And it was called the change of life You know it, For such a long time we didn't speak about that In men uh, Men go through a midlife crisis But never uh, Hypogonadism or andropause as we like to call it uh, For me Education on this is Incredibly Incredibly important There is another condition that Elise and I have um, Started to see more and more Regularly in some of our younger Patients and this is when we Look at blood results From them and they are On certain Contraceptives that they present with a chemically induced menopausal picture. Correct. Um, and when we mean, when we talk about that, so traditionally we looked at where your estrogen levels were and the two hormones that stimulate ovulation, um, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. So as we, as we progress through the perimenopause into menopause, um, usually those two hormones, FSH, um, and LH increase. And 
estrogen levels decrease. What we find in these younger women on um, contraceptives is that they present with incredibly low estrogen levels, but normal follicle-stimulating and luteinizing hormone levels. Mm -hmm. And initially it baffled us a little bit. And when we started putting the picture together, it's not something that is mentioned um, by the manufacturers of of these drugs. Um, Contraceptives have changed so much um, in the last 50 years. It's given women the right and the ability to control their own reproductive systems. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, it, uh, the, the side effects of these drugs are not fully explained. Um, and a lot of women end up with side effects, not attributing them to a possible uh, contraceptive. Uh, one of them are some of the signs of menopause and perimenopause um, that that we see, especially fatigue, insomnia, uh, loss of libido. Um, and sometimes what we do for that those women is uh, before we initiate treatment, we take them off a contraceptive. It's something that I wanted to, to touch on in um, it's interesting. We have two different women in the uh, studio, two different age sets. One menopausal had a hysterectomy for medical reasons, Elise, Correct. I presume. Yes. And a lady that's still in her reproductive years, very much uh, men- uh, menstrual still. Um, Simpiwi, do you have children? No, I do not. Do you want children? No, I do not. <laughs> okay. So maybe you're not the right girl to ask. So um, for me, and I've, I've, I've often pondered this, and I want to throw it out to you guys, and maybe we should discuss this at, uh, at some point, maybe not today. What is the use of having a uterus if you have decided that you're no longer going to have children? It is an organ that can cause a lot of um, problems, not only from a mortality side, but a morbidity side and a quality of life side. Um, Elise, as a former Eurogyne scrub nurse who worked with all the best uh, urologists and gynecologists, what are your thoughts on keeping your uterus um it's very interesting because my my perception or my my train of thought changed over the years as I evolved in my career. So initially and and sorry if I offend people if I say this, initially we all said take out that thing it can only become cancer. And that's the uterus. Then as the urogyne um, speciality developed throughout the years. Remember, that's a very um, young speciality in the world. Young meaning only 20 years or so that the attention was given to that spectrum of the female um, intimate areas or pelvic floor, let me call that. 
the thoughts change to say, let's keep the uterus or at least the cervix when we need to do a hysterectomy. Because of all the ligaments and muscles or the ligaments attached to the muscles in the pelvic floor, if you remove a structure, then you create a space. Create a space. And that leads to prolapse of the pelvic floor in a woman. Remember, the pelvic floor is a hammock. There is no bony structure that supports all the muscles in your pelvic floor, except your coccyx and your uh, rim of your pelvic bone. So it's literally, it's a net. It's a net. If you, if you think about uh, a basketball net or a netball net, that's the ring, but this ring's got um, gaps in the actual ring, and what's holding it together is the net that's tied to the pelvis. Yeah, and the structures within the pelvis, which is your rectum, your bladder, your uterus. But your uterus has got different types of ligaments that keeps it in place that's attached to the pelvic rim. And if you remove your uterus, yes, they do tie the, the ligaments together, but what is then there to support that pelvic floor or keep it in place? It's a gap. And that's where the biggest problems came for women that present with bladder prolapse, rectum prolapse, because there's nothing you upset the whole anatomy of the pelvis, the female pelvis, if you remove the uterus. So, yes, my my, my thoughts changed over the year. If you can keep your uterus, it's healthy. We can keep it healthy. Then that's the best way forward. Okay. Oh, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> well, you know what? I, uh, as, as a former... Uh, medical doctor were trained in gynecology um, but gynecology was never my favorite I'm, I'm more of an obstetrician I love pregnancy um, conception to birth it's nice to rip a baby out of, sorry to <laughs> deliver a baby and just hand it on to someone else I, as you can see I have begun it's quite easy so um, I want to move on to Hormone replacement therapy with bioidentical hormones. This is something that in the last mm, 10 years have exploded onto the scene. So, um, I think it's important for us to, to mention that when this um, million study was done, com- uh, bioidentical hormone therapy was in the early stages of development so it was not yet acceptable and according to the study it is not tested it's not safe etc etc it's still that um, as a medical doctor and you know at least you and I have very strong affiliation to compounding pharmacists because a lot of the products that we use are compounded supplementation but I never use um, bioidentical hormones for the simple reason it is what you just said bioidentical hormone has the same chemical structure 
as a natural hormone. The problem is that there's so many bioidentical bio hormones that's currently on the market that you actually do not know which ones are safe, which ones are effective, what the quality of the manufacturing was. A lot of those products have not been tested and um, have lots of negative effects. Um, some of them have very, very serious side effects. Bioidentical hormones can cause endometrial cancer. And a lot of them are much more expensive. It's all about correct marketing. Okay, put it into a beautiful carrier base um, that smells delicious. Um, you know what? And you have uh, a lamar where you can actually use ponds um, with more effect. And my grandmother was a speaking example of that. She used rooibos tea to wash her face, um, ponds vanishing cream, and at the age of 75, uh, she was a lady that was always on a sports field, never had pigmentation, not a single wrinkle. Um, so, you know, be very careful for bioidentical hormones. If you do want to use them, this is not something that you get from your homeopath. This is something that you get from a functional specialist, a doctor that has studied further in functional medicine and who gets his bioidentical hormones compounded from a reputable Compounding pharmacy, life a compounding pharmacy of South Africa. Correct. And then um, I think while we're on that subject, is complementary medicine or medicine that you can buy from a health shop or over the counter in your pharmacy that claims that it will treat different symptoms of uh, menopause. Also be very cautious of those things. You are going to pay lots of money for it and then the the ingredients is not sufficient to treat your Or not safe. And or not soy safe. here yeah. is again um, a very, very big culprit. If you cannot afford to take menopausal hormone therapy for Safety reasons Be very careful Of taking products like soy um, Consult a medical Practitioner Not your um, Health shop uh, Lady um, Or someone in the aisle Of Diskim uh, standing and try, trying to flock supplements. I always say when you look at the ingredients on a supplement bottle, you will see this may, this can, this could. You know what? I might be a green alien that wears a pink tutu with a green onesie every now and again. So um, be careful and don't put the onesies on the least by. <laughs> so, okay. So, we have a few minutes left. Um, usually by this time, and some Peewee hasn't done the finger, <laughs> you have five minutes left, but I've looked up at the clock. Um, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, menopause, um, what I think one of the things that we touched on today is we are not speaking about it enough. We do not have enough 
information about menopause going to our premenopausal women as well as women that are in the perimenopausal age, the menopausal age and postmenopausal. Um, and that, I think, is something that we, we really have to work on. If you have questions about this, you know what, it's very simple. You can, you can find us, um, on the tea clinic or at the tea clinic or here on this show, uh, Cliff Central. The biggest points that came out from the Women's Health Initiative study is the following. Menopausal hormone therapy is the best way to control menopausal symptoms. Elise, just give us those symptoms again. No menstrual cycle with uh, in a period of 12 months, age 50 to 59, and all those symptoms that you think you are going crazy. Anxiety, hot flushes, sweating, moodiness, low libido, irritability, no focus, no motivation, no energy. I can go on and on and on. Okay, so it's the best way to treat the symptoms of menopause as well as give women a better quality of life. Most of the misunderstanding and myths around menopause came from this initial study um, 19 and 17 years ago when the initial um, data was made available and the media interpreted incorrectly so and this is the big one combined therapy which means progesterone estrogen therapy or single estrogen alone cause no significant increase in the in breast cancer or heart attack risk in women older than 50 to 95 59 or 59 or oh, not 95 sorry. <laughs> I'm dyslexia um, so let me say that again hormone replacement therapy in the form of combined estrogen progesterone or estrogen alone does not increase the risk of breast cancer or cardiovascular events in menopausal women aged 50 to 59 or in women who start within 10 years of menopause. That means you can start late in your 50s. And if you take this, still have the benefits. You have the benefits of estrogen with no increased risk. It doesn't cause weight gain. It is safe. If you have problems, ask questions. This is what the show is about. Ask the question. To someone that can answer you and continue asking until you get an answer. It's been fabulous to have you, Simpiwe, uh, with us as producer today. Um, Elise, always a pleasure. Next week, um, it's spring day, not next Wednesday, it's the 1st of September. Can you believe it? Uh, today, in four months, it's Christmas. <laughs> so next week, we are talking... Um, 
skin and actually we are having Mr. Peter Scott renowned plastic and reconstructive surgeon in Johannesburg in the studio and we're going to talk about melanoma uh, it's going to be a very uh, interesting and um, a crucial show for all of us who live in Africa to listen to. Um, this is Dr. Mark, the T Health Show. You can get hold of us on the T Clinic or on 010-824-1393. Good day, good day Ali. Ciao. This has been the Tea Health Show with Dr. Mark and Chris Avon Smith, sponsored by the Tea Clinic. For more information, contact admin at theteaclinic.com.